Today, we're going to talk about how do I know God's will for my life. That is, that's something that all of us want to know. And I want to start right off the bat, and I want to tell you that you can absolutely know God's purpose for your life. You can know what he wants you to do. Can I get an amen there? He absolutely has a plan and a purpose for your life. In fact, when we say, how do you know God's will, when we talk about the will of God, we're talking about two things, talking about his purpose for your life and his plan for your life. So every one of you were born on purpose for a purpose, and and we'll talk about that in growth track today, growth track step two. Is happening at 11.30, and we talk about gifts and passions and the reason you, you're on this planet, the reason God created you is to make a difference. So we're not going to really talk about purpose in the message today. What we're going to talk about is his plan for your life. What is his plan for your life? And we'll start with a question, all right? I'm, I'm just asking you, when is it that most of us want to know God's plan for our life? When, when do we typically want to know his plan? I'll go ahead and answer it for you because it's typically whenever we're faced with a decision or a dilemma that we can't answer ourselves. And it's usually we go to him last. I'm, I'm talking to myself today. We're like, God, I've tried everything. And now I'm gonna pray about it, right? <laughs> I've tried everything, God. And he's like, yeah, but you haven't talked to me about it. So, so what I'm, when I talk about the plan of God for your life, I'm talking about, the questions like, what college should I go to? Like, we're, like uh, who should I marry, God? Who, who do you want me to marry? Or, who do you want me to break up with? I got a couple girlfriends right now, Lord. Which, who do you want me to, which one's not the one for me, right? Like, who, who do you, like, uh, what, should I buy this house or should I buy that house? Which car is the right one for me? Which is the right, the right career field? God, should I drink Coke, Sprite, Mountain Dew? What do you want from me, God? Like, which, which, uh, which deodorant should I wear? Right? For, for some of you, is it Old Spice or Brute? Like, which one's it going to be? Some of you young people don't know what Brute is. Come on. All you people my age and older, y'all know what Brute is. It's that cologne. It's the, like, kind of like Stetson, you know? Uh, brute. Uh, man, what, what should I do? And that's what I want to talk about today is, is kind of finding his plan for our lives. And the reality is this, God knows you and he has a plan for you. He knows who you are and he has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. God, God says, I know what they are. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I have something in store for you, God says. I know what I want you to do. So he knows what you're supposed to do in life. He knows what your next step should be. He knows whether you should buy this or that, whether you should sign this lease or not. He knows everything, and he wants to talk to you about it. But he's not a genie in the bottle. Come on, you don't just, you don't just rub the lamp and you go, abracadabra, hocus pocus, Please, Lord Jesus, help me focus. I just, it's not the way it works, right? You, like, you're, you're not gonna be able to know his will for your life by talking to some fortune teller on the phone or calling the Christian TV station and sending in a love gift to, to be able to know his purpose. Like, for your love gift of $19.95, we'll send you this vial of water from the very river where Jesus was baptized. 
You can't know his purpose even by that. So what I want to do is I want to show you really, really practical today. I mean, this is, this is just, this is easy, practical teaching today. And I want to show you how you can put God's will to the test, how you can decide if this is God's will or if it's not. Now, I am not, I don't like tests. I didn't like tests in school. You know, I tell my boys all the time, they, they might come home with a, like a B or something. I'll be like, close to a C. And I'm like, man, I never made a C in my life, boys. Come on. And they're like, yeah, dad, because you made D's and F's. And, <laughs> and they're not far from the truth there. It's, I just didn't do good with tests. But I want to give you these tests, 10 of them. And, and these tests, you have to use all of them together. It's a battery of tests. So you can't just use one test and be like, oh, it passed. It must be God's will, right? You, you can't do that. You have to use all 10 together. If all but one passes the test, don't pass go and don't collect $200. It might not be God's will, all right? So really simple and practical, 10 tests. In your notes, write this down. Number one, the first test is the word test, the word. And the word represents the Bible, God's word. What does the scripture say? Is, is this consistent with scripture or will this violate any biblical principles that are in scripture. And I'm gonna tell you with 100% confidence today, I can stand here boldly and I can proclaim to you with, with no fear, 100% confidence, that if it's in violation to God's word, then it is not God's will. I thought for sure I'd get an amen on that one there. If, it's in, if it violates his word, it is not his will. It's just not. I love what Psalm 119 says. This is the middle chapter of the Bible. And, and it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is a prayer I pray almost every day of my life. I'm asking God, would you let your word speak to me? His word will shine a light on things in your life. What, what does a light do? What does a light do? It reveals things, doesn't it? A light will, it will illuminate things that you might need to be careful of or obstacles that you might trip over. And that's what the word of God does for us. His word shines a light and it exposes things that might be harmful or might be good for us. And so his word is, it's a lamp to us. It's a light, it's very helpful for us. So if you believe God's word is true, then anything in opposition to his word is not his will, okay? And if you go in the opposite direction of his word, then you move further away from his blessing. I'm preaching good. To, I, these tests are really simple and practical, but they also might step on your toes, okay? I'm just, just saying. All right, number two is this. It's the marriage test. The marriage test. You, have you, if you've seen The Princess Bride, marriage. Oh, marriage. Remember that movie? The priest does that. The marriage test. If you're married, is my spouse on board with this decision? Is my spouse on board with this decision? Now, um, this is one of those comments that might step on you a little bit, but let me, I just got to give it to you, is uh, the quickest way, the, the quickest way to dishonor and disrespect your spouse is to make a decision without them. The quickest way to dishonor and disrespect your spouse is to make a major life-altering decision without their input. Like you come home one day and you go, honey, I cashed in the kids' college funds. 
we're putting in a pool. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. Now, I did have to pay a 50% penalty for taking the money out early. Uh, and the pool was uh, 9% interest. But listen, the kids are going to have so much fun with this. It's going to be great. And you're like, what did you do? Right? This is the quickest way to dishonor. Why? Uh, well, well before, before I go on, I feel like I need to give you a reason to laugh here, okay? Because I know that some of you might be dealing with this today. Uh, Boudreaux tested his wife one time. Y'all know who Boudreaux is? He's, he's a Cajun character. Boudreaux was talking with his wife, Marie, and he says, uh, he was testing her. He said, Marie, if I die, you gonna get married again? And she said, well, I, I guess I'd get married again. And he said, would you sleep in the, the same bed with him? She said, well, Boudreaux, we only got one bed. I guess I had to sleep in the same bed with him. Well, okay, will, will, Marie, will you make love to him? She, she's like, he'd be my husband. I guess we make love. He's, he's getting upset, right? He said, well, w- would you give him my pick-em-up truck? And she says, ah, Boudreaux, no, I, don't, I won't give him your, your pick-em-up truck. Besides, he can't drive a stick. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, he was testing her, right? Uh, I think she might have failed the test, but uh, all big decisions in a marriage need to be made together. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew, for this reason, what's the reason? Uh, the reason is God created them male and female. For this reason, a man's going to leave his father and mother, and he's going to be united to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. So now you're not making decisions separately anymore. You're making them together. And, And it goes on to say, so they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Come on, married couples, we got to work together. We've got, it's got to pass the test. If there's no, if, if, the spirit of Christ is a spirit of unity. If there's no unity in your marriage, then there's no Christ in your marriage. And without Christ in your marriage, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no love, there's no joy without Christ. Amen? All right, number three is the family test. The family test is, is my family on board with this decision? Will this bless my family? Will it bless my family? Um, I love the way Paul, and we read a lot of Paul's teachings today in this, in this message. Paul says it this way, anyone who does not provide for their, their relatives, and especially his own household, has denied the faith. That's a pretty bold statement. Some translations go on to say he's worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. Somebody who doesn't, who doesn't know or follow Christ is, is someone who doesn't take care of their family. And so let me ask it this way. Is the decision that you're thinking about and you're praying about, is it gonna help your family or is it gonna hurt your family? All right, because if I can talk to some some dads, some some men in the house, even some ladies who have opportunities like this, I know there might be an opportunity that comes your way, dads, where, man, you, you could go away for six months, a year, 18 months, and you could make a killing. You could make a lot of money. And you're thinking to yourself, babe, it's, it's, only, it's only a year. It's only 18 months. I'll, I know I won't be around to help you. I know I won't be here 
to, to help out with anything, but it's just a year and, and uh, we can make a lot of money. We can pay off a lot of debt. But I would just ask, what, what does your family think about that? How, how are your kids going to respond? Are they going to resent you? Is, is there going to be some hurts and some pains? Are, are you going to end up leaving your spouse to do a lot of work and she's got nobody else to help her? So, so I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, remember, all of these tests have to go together. So you don't, you don't just look at the family option and go, well, they're fine with it. It's all good. No, we do all of this. All of these tests are together. So let me say it this way. Your opportunity that puts your family in a bad spot cannot be God's will for your life. Why? Because it would cause you to deny the faith if you're not taking care of your family. Am, am, I, am I helping anybody today? I talked to a guy in the early service who said, man, your message was spot on for me. I'm really dealing with some decisions, and, and I had no idea, but he's thinking about there's an opportunity that came his way that's going to require him to be gone a lot from his family, and, and they're using these tests to decide, is this God's will? So we go from the family test, number four, to the peace test, the peace test. Now, the question here is, do I have God's peace? Do I have peace about moving forward with this decision? So uh, any baseball fans in the house? I love baseball. We, we were at the baseball field yesterday in Colleyville for, seemed like we were there a long time, hours watching Garrett play. And I love baseball. In baseball, there are two umpires at this level out on the field. And I liken peace to an umpire. Peace is an umpire. Let me say it this way. Peace calls the balls and strikes in your life. Peace says whether something is out or it's safe. Hey, hey, that's a strike. You better swing at that thing. No, 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 no. Hey, that's outside. No, don't, don't take, take it. Take it. Don't, don't swing at it, right? So peace is an umpire. And sometimes we get aggravated at umpires, don't we? We get aggravated at umpires. They don't call it right. You're like, man, blue, I saw it from way up here, bro. Come on, get it right. Peace is an umpire, and, and, he, and peace will let you know whether something is right or it's wrong. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean it won't try your patience, but in the end, you're going to have peace because you're going to be in God's will. Whether it works out in the way you wanted it to or not, you're going to have peace. And if you don't know the Prince of Peace, if you're not spending time with Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, then you're not going to have peace in your life. So you got to get with, you gotta get with the, the God of peace. You've got to spend time with the God of peace. True peace is not the feeling you get when everything is going well. True peace is the feeling you get when everything is falling apart. That's what true peace is. Come on, it's true peace. Um, 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, that the God, God is not the author of confusion. If you're confused, then you're not, you're not hearing the voice of God. He is the God of peace. All right, number, number five is the ministry test. The ministry test. And the question here is, will this move help me or is it gonna hinder me? Is it gonna help me in my, in my ministry to Christ? Is it gonna help me in, in my service to God? Or is it gonna hinder me, help or hinder? And, and this is why you're here. Like the ultimate reason you're on planet Earth is not to make a dollar, it's to make a difference. And so he's created you with purpose, with gifts, with destiny, with passions. And our goal in life is to make a difference, to use our gifts. And I love how Paul says it in Ephesians 
for, for it's by grace that you've been saved. In other words, it was through faith. It wasn't yourselves. You didn't save yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. You didn't work for your salvation. You couldn't earn your salvation. You don't deserve your salvation. Because if you could earn it, if you could work for it, then you could boast about it. And you could say, look what I did, right? But, but Paul says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You're not saved by, by, by works. And so he says, for, for we're God's handiwork and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works, to do good works. Am I making sense today? You're saved to minister. You are a minister. You're a 10 at something. And, and God wants you to use your gifts and your talents to make a difference. Is this gonna help you? Maybe it's a promotion, but it would pull you away from Sunday morning services. And again, you gotta make that decision, but you do it with all 10 of these tests. And is it gonna help me minister or pull me away from ministry? All right, number six is the agreement test. Have I shared this with strong Christians in my life? And here, that's the key word, strong Christians. Strong Christians. So what happens a lot of times is we share it with people who will tell us what we want to hear. Oh, come on. You know, I'm thinking about getting this car. You should. You know, I'm thinking about buying this vacation home. That sounds like a great idea. You know, are you, you know what I'm talking about. I, I've, I've made some decisions like that before. The agreement test and I share it with people and they're like, do it. The reason why this test is important is because typically I think we struggle with this one because we don't want people raining on our parade. We don't want somebody saying, that's a terrible idea. Why would you do that, right? Come on. We don't like it when somebody, when somebody tells us the opposite of what we want, because we're selfish people. And so the agreement test is finding somebody who will go, I don't know if I agree with that. I think you might want to consider something a little bit different. Or maybe they go, you know what, I think you are on the right track. Come on, you, you, you ought to do that thing. Who is the strong people in your life that can help you with that, with that, all right, plans fail. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel. Plans fail because we don't have anybody who will say, you're out of your mind. Why would you do that, right? But with many advisors, they succeed, all right? They succeed. Now, I've, I've been through this a few times with, with friends of mine uh, from Alabama. Uh, we were in ministry there for 15 years, and we had several fin friends, unfortunately, who ended up uh, in adulterous affairs and they divorced their, their wives and, and usually it was the, the men's fault in these situations, not all the time, I'm just saying in these situations, and, and guess who they didn't want to talk to about it? Me. You know who they did want to talk to about it? Was their other friend who had been in that situation, another friend who had adultery on his wife and they went to him for advice and wisdom. And I would just say, that's a, it's a dangerous and weak way to live because you, you don't want to just surround yourself with yes people. You want to surround yourself with somebody who will go, come on, what are you thinking, man? Wake up. Let's go. Stop. That's, that's what you want to do. It, it, am I helping anybody today? We all have blind spots in our lives. I have blind spots, but thank 
God for the Holy Spirit and Annalise who helps me with those blind spots. I thought that'd be funnier than it was. Um, <laughs> help me with these blind spots. All right, number seven is the financial test. Number seven, financial test. Will this move me to, to greater financial freedom so I can use God's finances like he wants me to use them, as his word says? The financial test, this is Proverbs 10, 22. That the blessing of the Lord, not just financial blessing, not just, uh, not, not just monetary things, but, but emotional, uh, physical, spiritual blessing of the Lord makes a person rich in those things. But he adds no sorrow with it. That's the part I want to focus on. He adds no sorrow to his blessing. But when we talk about the financial test, I've been here before. I get a new car. I pull up somewhere. I'm like, look what God blessed me with. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Thank you, Jesus. And then you get that first payment and you realize, oh, gotta transfer some money, I forgot. I wasn't prepared for this payment. And what, what happens to a lot of us is buyer's remorse. Can I say it this way? Sorrow. He, he adds no sorrow to those things. To the blessing of the Lord, there's no sorrow with it. Uh, if your decision is going to cause you to not be generous, if it's going to keep you from being generous, then I would, I would say be careful. It may not be God's will for your life because part of the will of God for you is generosity. For God so loved the world, he gave. He was generous to us. So number eight is the faith test. The faith test. These are all super practical. We do them all together. Does it pass these tests, the faith test? Is it causing me to step out in faith towards God? Sometimes God's gonna call you to do things that you don't wanna do. He's gonna ask you to step out in faith in a way that you can't see the end, you don't know what's around the corner, and, and it's bigger than what you're used to, okay? That's what faith is. Faith is, we, let me say it this way. I love how Paul says it in the scripture, 2 Corinthians, we live by faith. We live by things we cannot see. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by things that we can see with our natural eyes. We walk by faith. And so what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says that now faith, here's the definition, is the things that we hope for. It's the substance of the things we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. The biggest faith step we've ever taken as a family was moving here to Wichita Falls. We had, we had no idea, is this thing gonna work? Will, can we raise enough money? Will people even show up? We don't even have a location. How am I gonna provide for my family? But we knew this. We ran it through those tests and we knew this was the will of God for our lives and this was a faith step that we had to take. So we stepped out in faith. God showed up in a powerful way. 639 people showed up for the very first Sunday service at City Hope Church. We were in the school for less than two years and we had to find somewhere else to go. We found this building that was rickety and rackety. It was, it was ugly. I'm just telling you right now, if you didn't see it before, God, I don't wanna go to that. And by faith, we said yes, and look what the Lord has done. By faith, we got into this building. I hope it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be big enough, but now we're realizing, oh God, you've got bigger things in store for us than we could imagine. There's more faith steps ahead. We're, we're praying, do we need to add a service? Do we need to plan a campus? What do we need to do? What's the next faith step? 
So here's the reality. There's always going to be another faith step. You take one step, and there's another faith step waiting for you around the corner. Amen? Faith is the things we cannot see. Uh, Number nine is the relationship test. And so if you're not married, this would be one that you you would use here. Uh, relationships, are my relationships strong enough to withstand any stress? Sometimes I think, I think, that, uh, I think that we have um, the will of God. We know what it is, but it's the wrong time. It's the right thing, wrong time. Have you ever found that out before? God wanted me to do something, but then I, I went ahead of him. I got ahead of him, and it didn't pan out. And he's like, well, you're just you're too ambitious. Just slow down. It's the right thing, but not the wrong time. And then number 10 is the Christ-like test. Oh, to be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. Remember uh, Mike? Be like Mike? Remember the Michael Jordan song back in the day? Oh, to be like Mike. No, no, y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. The Christ-like test. Does this move help me become more like Christ, or is it going to pull me further away from him and his church? Is it making me more like Christ? or less like Christ. Um, If you were a product of the 90s and before, then you will know what these four letters represent. W-W-J-D. W-W-J-D. Or as we said in East Tennessee, W-W-J-D. W-W. All right, that's how you say it. What What am I talking about? What would Jesus do? Oh, it was such a great question, but it was really more than that, it was a fad, because everybody wore the bracelets. Even people who were like, I don't believe in God, I'm not, uh, who's Jesus? I'm not sure what this is about. Uh, No, oh, Jesus, who's Jesus, right? Everybody was wearing Jesus, what would Jesus do bracelets? And, And here's the thing, here's the reality, it's the perfect question. It's the right question we should be asking, all right? So, what would Jesus do? Not what, what would he just say? What does the Bible say? That's good too. But how would he behave? How would he respond? What are the decisions that he would make? And so I want to take just a few more minutes to show you what Jesus, like, like how we can become more like Christ. Uh, if we're going to make the right decisions, we've got to be more like Christ. Can I get a witness today? So these 10 principles are, are very practical, but they're spiritual. I want to take a few minutes and show you some, uh, some spiritual truth, all right? Romans chapter 12, let's check this out. Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship, true and proper worship. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And let's go on to the next part. It says, then, if you don't conform, if you are transformed, then you'll be able to test and approve. There's the word test. You'll be able to run it through these battery of tests to approve what God's will for your life is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you wanna know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life? If you do, there's two things. Two things, don't conform, be transformed. All right, let's go back to that last verse, if you don't mind, the the previous screen. Don't conform. The word conform is the Greek word suskamatizo. Suskamatizo. It means means this. 
that, um, that you're, pattern, you're patterning yourself after somebody else. And in today's culture, church, we're patterning ourselves after what we see on social media. We're patterning ourselves after what we see in the marketplace. We're patterning ourselves after what we see walking down the mall on the mannequins in the magazines. We're patterning ourselves after what we see out, outside, after the world. And, and Paul says, don't pattern yourself after the things of this world, but be transformed. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. Paul says, don't pattern yourself after all this other stuff that you're seeing with your own eyes, but be transformed. Let a metamorphosis, let a trans, let a, let a transformation happen in your life. What does the transformation look like? Well, the Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. You're not patterning yourself after the things of the world. You're patterning yourself after God, after Christ. So what, what am I trying to say? The idea is you're changing into another form. You're, you're becoming more like Christ. So how do I become more like Christ? Well, check this out. The best way to become like Christ is to spend time with Christ. The, the best way to be more like Christ is to spend more time with Christ. So God has a, an obvious and a very clear, clear plan for your life, an obvious and clear plan for your life, and it can be found as you become more like Christ. How do you become more like Christ? Three things. Number one, you gotta get close to him. You gotta get close to God. Have you ever heard of the term best, bestie? Oh, she's my bestie. We finish, we finish each other's sandwiches. I was thinking sentences, but that works too. You, know, you just, they, they know everything about each other. Besties, they, they dress alike, they act alike, they laugh alike, all this. How, how do they get that way? Because they spend time with one another, right? Get close to God. Now, I remember the, the day I got glasses, I have worn glasses since I was in second grade. I have contacts that I wear. Without contacts, my vision is bad, right? But I didn't just have glasses in the second grade. I had bifocals. They were huge. They were, you know, nowadays they make bifocal lenses that you can't see the line right there. No, mine had the line. And mine were big frames that would be in style today, but not then. I went through the whole four eyes thing, right? Here's where I'm going with this, all right? Uh, without my glasses, I can't see things unless I get really close to it. For some of you here today, you're trying to find God's will for your life. And maybe all you need to do is get close to him. Just get close to him. Just move in a little bit closer um, I, love how, I love how James says it, James 4 and 8, is if you'll come near to God, he's gonna come near to you. He, he is not, he, he's, he's not withholding anything from you, church. I need you to understand that, that he's not withholding anything from you. He wants to bless you. He wants to be clear with you, but we gotta get close to him. Number two, as you get close to him, then you need to listen to him. Just listen. Listen for him. Jesus said in, in, um, in John chapter 10, verse 27, 
that my sheep listen to my voice. They, they listen to me. I know them and they know me. They, they know me. We're, they're listening to me. Now, here's the problem is that we want, we want God to yell at us like our baseball coach. Two, two, right? Or stop or don't buy that lemon, right? If you would have just told me, God, I wouldn't have bought it. If you'd have yelled a little bit louder, I could have heard you. That house has mold in it. Don't buy it. We want God to yell at us and to be loud and clear. But we actually find throughout Scripture that he doesn't yell. He actually whispers. It's a still, small voice. It's a still, small voice. Why does he speak to us in still, small voices? Because he's close to us. And if he's close to you, he doesn't have to yell at you. If you're close to God, you'll hear him when he, when he speaks in that still, small voice. If you're close to God, all you've got to do is lean over. You ever leaned over to somebody and, and you got that little, um, that little secret they were trying to tell you? And, and all you got to do is just lean over a little bit and you can hear them? That's what I'm talking about. Listen. He doesn't have to yell because he's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's always there. And then number three, number three, after you get close to him, after you listen to him, actually do what he says. And this is not about works. This is not about you doing enough to get to heaven. This is about obedience. You know when I'm the happiest with my kids? When they do what I say. Can I just be honest with you? I don't want to have to tell you 13 times. That's when I'm the happiest. When, when I'm the most frustrated with my kids is when they don't do what I say. I don't know if God operates the same way. I kind of feel like he does in some ways. Maybe the reason you're having a hard time hearing God's vision for your life or the will that he has for you is because you didn't do what he told you to do last time. And James says, don't just listen to the word. Don't just read the word. Don't just listen for the voice of God, but actually do what it says. If you don't do it, you deceive yourself. Come on, do what it says. So let me give you a little bit of hope to clear it up. You have the capacity to do what God's called you to do. You have the ability as you draw closer to God to know what his will is for your life, to know what he wants you to do. Can I get a witness from anybody today? You have that capacity. And as you get closer with Christ, the, we, the more you spend time with Christ, the more you will become like Christ. And as you become more like Christ, you're transforming. There's a metamorphosis that's taking place. And as you are transformed, that's when you will know the good, the perfect, and the pleasing will of God. Can, I give, can, can we just give God thanks for that today? That's when we'll know when we're transformed. When we're transformed, what does that look like? Get close to him, listen to him, and obey him. Hey, would you bow your heads with me today? And let me, let me pray for you. For every person here today who you're being transformed, but you want to hear God plainly. You're, 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 you're confused maybe about what the next step is. You're not sure what his vision for your life is. You're not sure what his will for you is. You've got big decisions to make. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. You've been walking in guilt lately. 
And you just, you want to hear God's voice. You want to hear what he's saying today. You, you want to know what's next for you. I want to pray for you today. And if that's you, if you're in a valley of decision, you say, Pastor Ben, I, I just need clarity in my life. I need clarity in some decisions that I've got to make. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you today? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are up everywhere. Lord, I thank you for every hand that's lifted, for every person who just needs some clarity. God, they love you. They're, they're trying to get close to you. They're trying to listen to you. They're trying to obey you and walk it out. God, I pray that you'd bring clarity to their lives, that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt what your good, pleasing, and perfect will is. God, that they would take these tests and they would begin to run, run these options and these decisions that they have through this battery of tests, that they, would, that they would make the right decision, that they wouldn't just have a good idea. It would be a God idea. It would be from you, and you would make it clear. And there wouldn't be any confusion. There wouldn't be any any worry or fear or anxiety God I thank you for clarity in this moment I thank you for your presence to just be with every person who needs you right now in that valley of decision and with your head still bowed for for some of you here today you are you're not being transformed you're actually you're on the other side you're conforming you are patterning yourself after the world you're the way we say it is you're far from God you don't have a relationship with God. You've drifted. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not making the decisions based on the word of God. You're far from him. He's not the Lord of your life. He's not in control. He's, he's, not, he's not leading you. He's not your savior. But today in this message, you just feel a tug on your heart right now. You feel this thing inside of you that says, I don't want to conform anymore. I don't want to conform. I want to be transformed. I want a metamorphosis to take place in my life. It all begins with a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And I want to give you that opportunity on the count of three. If you're ready to be transformed, you're ready to stop conforming and to be transformed, to give your life to Christ on the count of three. I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Come on, all over the room, all over the room. Anybody else? Anybody else? Five. Anybody else? In, in the balcony or down here in the back. I see you back there, six in the back. Anybody else say, that's me. I want to be transformed. I want to be made new. I want, to, I, I want, I want a, a new life with Christ today. Thank you. Come on, let's say this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will you give me a fresh start? I want to know you. I don't want to conform anymore. I want to be transformed. Make me new. I give my life, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I give it to you. And from this day forward, you're my God. And I will live for you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God thanks for at least six people who said they're going all in today. They want to be transformed. Amen. Amen.